Welcome to the Outrage Science Bites podcast, a companion podcast to the Outrage Overload podcast. This is day 11 of the NA Pod Pomo Challenge. That's a 30 day challenge to produce one episode every day during the month of November. And so that's what we're doing. This is day 11. So today I'm going to talk about something that is a little bigger than really could be described in full in a science bite. So we're just going to give a quick overview of political sectarianism. So this was a term introduced through a paper written in 2020. It came out around the time of the big presidential election. And previously we've talked about the idea of um, affective polarization, sometimes called negative polarization. And they took that a step further and called it uh, political sectarianism. And so it's not about disagreeing about ideas. It has three aspects to it. They they talk about three core components. Othering, that is a very strong sort of us versus them. Aversion, so it's not just like they're different, but you actually, you don't like them. And third, you think they're bad. So you're bad in a moral sense. So you sort of think they're morally evil. And those are the three big components, othering, aversion, and this sense that they're bad. It's those three things in combination that, that they've argued, you know, are especially dangerous. So let's talk a little bit now about the outrage-based messaging that we talk about a lot on the Science Bites podcast as well as on the Outrage Overload podcast and how that plays into it, how that's a contributing factor to all this division. You know, if you turn on MSNBC or Fox News, you, you see a whole lot of discussion about the latest outrage from the other sides. It turns out to be a lot easier to agree on how awful Donald Trump is than to get Democrats to agree on exactly what should be taught in schools, right? You know, figuring out exactly where we agree and disagree on one side is trickier than figuring out how we hate the grievously horrible person on the other side. So with that, you get this extreme party loyalties. So it's not like people are increasingly becoming bimodal, that half the people, that some people are super liberal and some are super conservative. If you look at the electorate as a whole, there hasn't been much shift. But there's a huge increase in political sectarianism, this more social, affective, hateful type of partisanship and negative partisanship. And there is immense party loyalty and consistency across election cycles. So there's a famous exchange, and whether it really happened or whatever or not, but it's certainly been reported a lot. There's this famous exchange with Benjamin Franklin where he was asked, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? And he replied, a republic if you can keep it. And so what did he mean by that? Well, it's hard to say exactly what he meant by that, but if you look at George Washington's farewell address, you might get some idea of what he might be able to describe what Franklin meant. And he says, well, to keep the republic, if you can keep it, well, how do you keep it? You have to avoid extreme partisanship. And he talked about some of the problems with extreme partisanship. First, he said, quote, it serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. 
And, you know, we see this in, in our current environment, right? It comes to political, our, our government system, it's pretty difficult to get anything done. It's not clear that the government even represents the people that well anymore. Second, he said, extreme partisanship, quote, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection, end quote. So in other words, extreme, partisanships tends, extreme partisanship tends to cultivate hatred, even to the point of violent and perhaps efforts to overthrow standard government processes. Again, might have seemed a little bit extreme not that long ago, but it doesn't anymore. And third, Washington said this sort of extreme partisanship, quote, opens the door to influence and corruption, which find a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions, end quote. Okay, that, that's really important. Our own party passions become the pathway to enable influence and corruption. You know, we're so mad at the other side that we enable corruption and influence. And there are many examples of this. I'm sure you can think of some. But, for example, the, the, the main way in which, you know, Russia influenced the 2016 or interfered with the 2016 election you know, they basically got, got us to hate each other, right? So they basically created a bunch of memes where Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats, and we basically did the work for them. So this is the argument for if you can keep it, right? What is required to keep it? Try to avoid the extremity of partisanship. So next I want to talk a little bit about, we talked, we mentioned a lot on a couple of other of these little snippets, and I want to talk about sort of this distortion or misperception we have about the other side and what we may have in common. And a lot of that comes to the stories that we're telling ourselves. To what degree are our assumptions about the other side accurate? It's actually kind of a big deal, right? So if I think I know what the other side believes and what policies they favor and what they're likely to do, that should inform my behavior regardless of whether I'm right or wrong. But it turns out that whether I'm right or wrong is consequential in terms of me making wise decisions. If we really have these massive disagreements and we see them honestly, it may well be worth a very serious fighting. Yes, maybe including compromising democratic norms. Yes, maybe including violence, right? There are some standards on which many of us would actually be willing to do that. So, but it's important to know, like, our assumptions about the other side. Are they accurate? And so here, there have been a lot of studies about this. And I'm going to just boil it down to tell you that Democrat and Republican effects are the same. They're basically the same. And that is participants who are Republicans, participants who are Democrats, are showing basically the same pattern of distortion or misperception. And you have a distortion ratio of something like 2 or 3 to 1. So, you know, that is, you know, what we're saying here is there is a true meaningful difference in how much people dehumanize the other side versus their own side. But their perception of how much the other side dehumanizes them relative to dehumanizes itself is about two or three times larger. It is yet another case where when we think about how much they dehumanize us, we are grossly, severely wrong in how much they do. Yes, they do dehumanize us, but nowhere near as much as we think. And so this is probably a first step. A lot of um, folks agree that this is sort of a first step to making things better, closing that gap on these misperceptions about the other side. But I do want to be clear that some of the differences that we have, even if they're not as big as we think they are, they're, they're hugely important. Like, we should be debating the nature of our school curricula. 
we should be debating these sort of things as a society. But the problem with the state of our political sectarianism is we can't even have those conversations. We can't even have the conversations we need to have about these important differences that actually exist because we're so angry and so vilifying of the other side. You know, so what does the other side actually believe is a crucial step, but it's only a first step. After that, we need a whole bunch of systems for figuring out how do we make sure that everybody has a voice in our democracy and what are the systems for adjudicating them. So, so once we have, say, a bunch of perspectives on the table, what then? Is it majority rule? Is it philosopher king? Like, what are those mechanisms? And I don't have the answers to those questions, but those are the sort of conversations that we need to be having. So if we look at political violence, you know, a lot of people ask this question. So, um, you know, I'm surprised we have all this political violence. Well, if we're really telling ourselves the other side is evil and we really believe that the other side is evil, if we really believe that, and the, in, the studies show that Demo- both Democrats and Republicans report believing the other side is evil, Given that, you know, we should not be surprised that we have political violence. You know, we, why don't we have more political violence is perhaps the better question. If reasonable people fight for the things they care about, you know, and if they care about them enough, they're going to fight hard. And we find ourselves in a situation where it feels like every election kind of hangs on a knife edge. Again, these are the stories that we tell ourselves. And these are the narratives that we have. You know, we we believe if the wrong candidate wins, America will never recover. This question was asked, and about 76% of of Democrats said America will never recover if Trump wins. And a similar percent of Republicans said if Biden wins, America will never recover. And again, these are the stories we tell ourselves going into these elections. So why wouldn't we be violent? Are these honestly the stakes? You know, we shouldn't ask ourselves why people are violent. If you really believe this, we shouldn't be surprised that they're violent. So I only say this to point out the importance to this problem and why there's so many folks working on it and, you know, the consequences of this situation and, you know, and why I have a whole podcast about it. So this episode has talked mostly about sort of what this problem of political sectarianism is, some of its consequences, and we haven't talked very much about, you know, things, ways to make things better. But that's what we generally talk about. That's the whole purpose of the Outrage Overload podcast. And there'll be other Outrage Science Bites episodes that will also likely touch on some of the promising science uh, in this area. And Peter Coleman has identified some 8,000 organizations that he puts in a category he refers to as bridge-building organizations trying to work on these kinds of problems. Uh, Again, I have a whole podcast about it called Outrage Overload, where we talk with scientists, researchers, and authors about this and try to get, um, also talk to practitioners, uh, such as, you know, folks running, some folks from those, some of those 8,000 organizations and what they see and what kind of solutions that they're working on. So while this episode talks mostly about, you know, one of the problems, political sectarianism and why it's important, um, that's not the outrage overload. It doesn't just tell you about problems. It also tries to offer 
solutions, both for our personal lives, sort of coping with these things in, in our personal lives, as well as in a larger picture, you know, sort of structurally and what kinds of things can happen out there to improve these uh, this situation in, in, in the big picture. So I'll end there with this episode. Uh, that is a little bit of an overview, a brief overview of this concept of political sectarianism, this affective polarization, where it comes from, um, what's what the science is showing us uh, about that. And if you enjoy this kind of content, you may like to look into the long format Outrage Overload podcast, where we talk about these sorts of things and we bring experts and scientists and others in, authors and others in, to talk about these things and hopefully suggest some ideas and, and, and uh, explore some ideas for, for how, to, how to get out of here or how to make things better. And you can find all that at outrageoverload.net. You can also find all the Outrage Science Bites episodes uh, on that same website, outrageoverload.net. Just scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a link to Outrage Science Bites, and that'll show you uh, the episodes, the past episodes and other episodes for this 30-day challenge that have occurred, and pr- prospectively, uh, or potentially, whatever prospectively happens after November 30, which I currently haven't decided, but we likely will continue this podcast, but on a less frequent basis. But uh, during the month of November, there's a new episode every single day, so look for another episode tomorrow, and feel free to reach out. All my contact info is on outrageoverload.net. And also my email is outrageoverload at gmail.com. You can always ask me a question, something you'd like to see in one of these Science Bites episodes, a question you maybe had about one of these Science Bites episodes, or anything else. And um, that question, if it turns out if it's a related to making another episode, you'll see that episode probably this month. Uh, you won't have to wait. So it will be out sometime in November. So look for another episode tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Yeah.